1: i'm shocked to say that i really am we're back that's the best thing i can say um for those of you who have followed flicks and picks this is not this is not the first episode we've ever done of this show of course not we've been doing this for a while but then we had to basically go away because there is a global pandemic out there and so i had to go away for a little bit but movies are back and so am I. And I'm really excited to come back here. I really am. And there's just the state of the movies. That is a whole conversation we're going to have to have on this show. And it's going to be a weekly conversation. And whether or not it's discussing the newest film that has come out or discussing why films are not doing so well at the box office, which is pretty obvious because pandemic, that's the best answer we can give. But it's it's great to come back It really is it's great to be back and especially on our new home radio 111 which used to be iHub radio but we're gonna forget that old name and go on to radio 111 I think it sounds a little cooler also new theme song so for those of you who missed the old theme song that's alright there's always older episodes where you could just click (laughs) click on it on the podcast and you can hear the older theme song and you'll be good there you don't have to worry about it and guess what I've had a lot of fun, I've gone to, I got my degree finally, and I was able to actually just relax for once, and go to the movies a little bit more for fun, so it's nice to go there, to go to the movies, and not feel like I have to review them or anything like that, not to say that that's bad, I I still keep the conversations going within my own private friends group, but it's nice to just kind of relax a little bit and just enjoy movies, but I'm not going to go on to everything, I'm not going to give you updated opinions on movies from last year that in case you were curious um, in case anybody's wondering Promising Woman was my favorite movie of last year uh, 2020 so if you haven't seen that yet you're kind of missing out on it it's a great film but let's go on to 2021 because now that movie theaters are open again I think that this is a really interesting time to talk about let's just say the state of the movies right now Uh, for the most part films haven't really done so well at the box office you're not gonna see any billion-dollar movies worldwide at least in for a while not for a while and a lot of films that ordinarily would make a billion dollars are not going over to China so you know china is actually a really big box office market believe it or not because they have so many people there and also because um the government really does get itself included and as part of the conversation on film so what happens is that if you have a film that is released in um china the government gets involved so therefore um there's going to be a little bit more how do i say this a little bit more incentive for the audience to go there like they'll be pushed to do to go and see a movie it's complicated but uh, but basically China is a very big market for films and to say otherwise would be denying a reality I think at this point if you're listening to this show you know how important China is for the film market so there's a lot of movies that are not going there like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Black Widow didn't go there. So those movies didn't go there for their various reasons. I think Disney, Marvel are having a lot of problems with China right now, which is unfortunate because most, a lot of their money gets made over there. That's why they're able to make so many billion-dollar movies, movies that literally make a billion dollars. And I think they've had one per year for a while now. And with the exception of two, uh, 2020 and 2021, there hasn't really been a billion-dollar movie. And even the highest grossing film of the whole year, Hi Mom, which is a Chinese comedy. Um, I haven't seen it. It looks fun. I mean, I think it looks like a good movie. Um, it's, it hasn't even made a million dollars. A billion dollars, I mean. It's only made $848 million and even then that's considered a rough number and it only came out in China and i think what happened is that a lot of people wanted to see like a comedy in china and in, and the thing about china is that they figured out how to handle the pandemic really well in the beginning towards in the beginning they figured out a solution that ultimately paid off long term so we we still haven't quite figured it out here in the United States to be perfectly honest, but there's been conversations going on too, about whether or not there should be vaccine mandates at the movies. Um, there's already vaccine mandates at restaurants and clubs. Should there ha- should there be any at the movie theater? I I have been told by a few people that they'd feel safer going to the movies with the mandate. And I've also heard people say that, well, I would boycott the movie, but I have my vaccine. I just would boycott it because I believe in uh, choice, which is, you know, that's their right to believe anything they want to believe, of course. But I still think that vaccine mandates might encourage people to show back up to the movies. I've met people who don't want to go back unless there's a vaccine mandate and then even then they're still reluctant to do so So, if we're looking at from a financial standpoint it's not guarantee but if we look at it from like a health standpoint maybe it actually might make some people feel a little bit more comfortable we'll have to see because the again the movies are in a very particular spot where they're not necessarily hurting for money but no film largely hasn't been super profitable like I don't think Black Widow, Shang-Chi's numbers are necessarily enough to, like, give Disney some profit because those movies are expensive to make, first of all, and they also have actors with big salaries. Not so much Shang-Chi because they're actors who are starting out, well, not starting out right away, but actors who have not quite gotten the A-list status that someone like Scarlett Johansson has for Black Widow. And speaking of Scarlett Johansson in this part of state of the movies, we're going we we have to keep an eye on that lawsuit because of the fact that well if Scarlett Johansson wins that sets a you know that sets a standard for people uh, for a lot of different celebrities to try to get money off of studios because of streaming services or streaming their films or day and date releases so for example someone like Jamie Lee Curtis could potentially, you know, sue Universal for putting Halloween kills on Peacock the same day that's coming out next month. So there's a lot of like conversations about how to appease actors in case something like that happens. And I don't know how I feel about the lawsuit. There's a part of me that's like you should get your money, Scarlett Johansson, you really should be getting your money because you really do deserve it if you feel like you're being gypped out of it. And s- studios are always going to find some way to like, you know, it's kind of an unspoken rule that studios will probably not pay their workers actors as well as they deserve and then there's also an argument of well Scarlett Johansson made enough money on the film does she really need more money I don't know I don't know it's complicated because it depends on how you look at it you can see it as the standard being that people should be paid their worth and people should be paid for their work but there's also the other thing of, well, you know, you make a lot of money in Hollywood. What about the people that obviously worked on the film, like the crew and all that? What about their financial uh, fin- financial stability? Which is very valid. It's a very valid thing. So there's a lot, again, going on in the movies. There's also been conversations more and more about diversity at the awards ceremonies. And this recent award ceremony, the Primetime Emmys, has gotten a lot of um, pushback for it. But before I get into that, I do want to say that 2021 has been a very curious year in the movies. I call it the underrated year, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of underrated films that come out that, because of the pandemic, will never really see, like they're due this year but hopefully next year they become popular enough like I liked in the Heights in fact I really loved it but it was a box office bomb and I felt like people should be watching <laughs> that instead of <laughs> watching um, the one movie I rev- I'm gonna review on this show a little bit later Dear Evan Hansen in terms of musicals Dear Evan um, uh, in the Heights should have uh, should have gotten more success which is sad because the HBO um, day-in day uh, release um, strategy has not worked out so well. So HBO Max and War- Warner Bros. releasing their 2020 movies on HBO Max, not so good. Obviously, because people are going to probably want to go st- and stay home and watch um, a movie on HBO Max because it doesn't cost anything extra to actually watch a movie on there. It just goes straight onto streaming. That's how I'm going to probably end up watching Dune because it's convenient and I can just go and pause it anytime I want. But there's other conversations too about you know. I, I I gotta say there's just been so many like uh, I, I'm gonna say this has also been the year where a lot of movies have gotten disappointing results in terms of like people having high expectations for a movie and then it turns out not to be so great like people had high expectations for Black Widow not so great but you know what, it's been a largely fun year at the movies I I I think that once you have a year with movies like Cruella, A Quiet Place 2, and In the Heights, you know, those movies that you know, I'm not going to say they take risks but they're, it's, it's nice to see that those films are fun still, like even the films that aren't as popular or not as good, they're still fun I don't think I've seen a movie that's particularly egregious maybe I have uh, we'll get into that later on in the show, but oh boy, the, it's been quite a year. But you know what? We might as well just go ahead and move on and talk about the Primetime Emmys. So the 73rd em- Primetime Emmys aired last week, and I know I'm late. I know I'm late, but I don't I don't get to have a show every week, so uh, every day. I mean, so I get, I get to have my show once a week. So you're going to see hear updates about winners and my thoughts on them a week later. But for the most part, it's another sweeps here. I've had some discourse about the fact that, again, another show like The Crown this year won the most awards. And winning Outstanding Drama, uh, Outstanding Lead Actress, uh, Outstanding Supporting Actor. You know, there's been a lot of, um, how do I put it this way? There's been a lot of discourse about whether or not it's a good thing for shows to win in sweeps and whether or not The Crown deserved it. Now, The Crown this year has had a lot of conversation. Some of it is based on the controversy of whether or not something's factual or not. That's a whole conversation. I'm not gonna say it's valid or invalid, but it does lead to, but it doesn't help that in real life, the Meghan Merkel controversy over in England kind of reflects a lot of the same controversies that happened to Princess Diana in real life, which are reflected in The Crown, be it as it may it still won a lot of emmys and so it's it, it's nice to see like a show winning a bunch of them but i also feel like i i feel like this is kind of like something that has happened that stopped happening to the oscars we don't have any major sweeps anymore because you re- cuz i think nowadays there's sort of this conversation of not one thing deserves everything and i think that that's a great way of looking at it also the fact is that no person of color has really Won any of the major categories except one writing category in the limited series, um, subcategory, but it's it, it and then there's also this one producer, the Queen's Gambit producer, who went on this really long, boring three minute speech, and I just didn't have a and and, and overall like, the ceremony itself was just not that was not that great. I mean, it felt awkward. It just. And I I think this was a particular moment where people are starting to really talk a little bit more about the fact that why did the crowd win so much when shows like Pose were on their way out and they deserve to be recognized just as well? You know, there's that conversation. And then of course, you know, why did that producer feel the need to be so rude and cut off the music and have a three minute speech where he didn't essentially say anything? we really need to be a little, str- little bit more stricter on speeches if they're just running on and on and on and they're not saying anything important you know if you had something important to say maybe I wouldn't complain so much but hey stay tuned we're gonna talk Dear Evan Hansen and various other movie topics here on Felix and Picks stay tuned
0: been touched by an angel or two. You know, Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, maybe even Gene Shalit. Here is Brian Mendoza talking cinema on Radio 111's Flicks and Picks.
1: Uh, Let's not forget Pauline Kael too. Just going to mention that too. I love Pauline Kael. Okay, so there's been a lot of discourse about this one topic, which may not be super deep but I still have to bring it up because I'm not gonna see the end of it and I'm gonna want to talk about it so for those of you who don't know the Super Mario Brothers game was a success in the 1980s and then continues to be a major uh, video game franchise and basically the gem in Nintendo's royal crown of success. It really is a wonderful franchise of video games and it has iconic characters, so everybody has their opinions about who could play Mario. And very and the various other characters, which include Princess Preach, who gets kidnapped by the evil uh, Bowser, who is kind of a weird dinosaur dragon creature, and occasionally Donkey Kong, which is this giant monkey. and. Obviously, because if you get the last name Kong, you know it's not King Kong, but Donkey Kong. And then you also got Toad, which is a friend of theirs. That's like this weird mushroom character. And then Luigi, who is Mario's brother, who occasionally has a love interest named Daisy. Okay, so there has been a lot of conversation about a upcoming Mario Brothers movie. Because, you know, again, video game movies are doing a little bit better na- more than ever. I think that certainly they have not been the disasters that they ordinarily have been in the past. Um, the recent Mortal Kombat movie is proof that they can be successes, and that they don't necessarily have to like. Um, how do I put it this way? That they don't necessarily have to be released in theaters to be a success. That they've, that that they can be on streaming and have a day and date suce- uh, rate, and be generally respected that way. And I think that that is actually like pretty telling that video game movies can be successful, but I think that the reason why they're successful is because A, they might be good or have some sort of faithfulness to the original video game. Same with Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog did really well at the box office to the point that it's getting a sequel that's coming out next year. And I'm excited to see that one, actually, because Sonic the Hedgehog was surprisingly pretty good, despite the fact that it had a rough marketing campaign in the beginning and then they improved the special effects. And so, therefore, you know, the the film got a lot of love. And then there's also, like, Detective Pikachu, which, again, it got a lot of, like, money at the box office and i actually think detective pikachu was probably the best one of the best video game movies ever made which is not saying much i mean the the best one in my opinion is still 1995's mortal kombat and i wouldn't say it's a great movie but they're increasingly getting better and they're they're trying really hard to actually be good movies as opposed to being fan service and they're trying that's the key word they they really are trying i'm not sure why anybody would try to put down video game movies any more than they've already been put down because they are trying but with that being said there was a nintendo direct live stream event and mario the mario brothers movie which is now being called mario is going to be coming out next year in 2022 and they released the um fan uh, the casting list and fans have opinions So let's go ahead and give out the I'm going to go ahead and just tell you who's in the movie. So Chris Pratt's going to be playing Mario, who is the famous Italian plumber who just jumps and jumps and then goes into pipes and comes out of them. If you've played the game, you know what I mean. If you haven't, then that's kind of weird. But um, Charlie Dave is going to be playing Luigi. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be playing Peach. Uh, Jack Black will be playing Bowser. Keegan-Michael Mike- Keegan- Key will be playing Toad. That's a very interesting casting decision right there. Seth Rogen will be playing Donkey Kong. Fred Armstein- Armisen are- is going to be playing um, Cranky Kong. Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek. Sebastian Maniscalco as Spike. And Charles Marinette... T- uh, Marty Nett. He's he's the original voice of Mario, Wario, and Waluigi. He's gonna be having cameos here and there, so we'll probably see uh, a reference to him being the original voice of Mario somewhere along the line. But for the most part, this is not a live-action movie. This is a... um, Well, for those of you who don't know, this is gonna be mostly a... uh, this is gonna be an anime movie. So you're gonna see Uh, You're going to mostly hear these voices, you're not going to see the actors, so if you were worried about Chris Pratt not looking like Mario, it doesn't matter, he's going to sound like Mario, hopefully, hopefully. Um, I have mixed feelings overall because I feel like these these are not terrible decisions. I think Charlie Day has the potential for Luigi. Uh, Jack Black playing Bowser is actually a pretty interesting choice. And you know what, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong is probably not as bad as it sounds, but... I'm still not sure about Chris Pratt playing Mario, because I can kind of see it being either a really good voice or just a really bad imitation of it. And I'm going to be honest, I feel like we've been going down this path of so many celebrities being in animated films instead of voice actors, so we kind of lose a lot of voice actors and voice talent that, you know, Charles Martinet is still around. So why is he not doing Mario? It kind of seems like a shame that he'll never get to voice Mario in a movie but Chris Pratt does and it's just because Chris Pratt can bring people in for the money but Mario such a success that I'm not sure why anybody would want a celebrity to play him necessarily and I'm not against celebrities voicing characters I mean it's been successful before like Robin Williams Geraldine Page they've been successful at it but I feel like this is a case where this is more based on celebrity who might be able to perform a voice but we'll see i think that i want to give this film the benefit of the doubt i don't know illumination's always been kind of mixed bag for me that's the company that's producing this film i i have a bit of a problem with how they adapt things like how they adapted the grinch but we'll see hey stay tuned we're going to talk about dear evan hansen right after the break
0: You love motion pictures You've made it to the screening room on time Radio 111 presents Flicks and Picks With Brian
1: Mendoza I've delayed the conversation I must speak about Dear Evan Hansen And tell you exactly what I think about it Oh boy Alright So as you may or may not have heard There's been a lot of discourse and conversation About Dear Evan Hansen And it's not pretty No so let me tell you a little bit about Dear Evan Hansen, for those of you who don't know. Dear Evan Hansen is a 2015 stage musical, originally was that, and it was written in it, with music and lyrics by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who also went on to, per- to do the music for La La Land and The Greatest Showman. And let's just say that I think they're pretty good. I th- I'm not going to lie. Let me be, let me be positive there. They have been, they've had a lot of success producing good music. Um, I really enjoyed La La Land's music. I actually think that even though Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone have been criticized for their singing voices, the lyrics, the lyrics strong and the music is really good. Same with like the Greatest Showman. I think the Greatest Showman is not as good as La La Land. I've, I've, I've heard people say that they really love that film. Um, it just doesn't hit me the same i i get why <laughs> i get why um people really love that song this is me i do too but i i'm not uh, it's not my favorite song in the world and i feel like you know maybe maybe i'm just inspired by other songs I, I think i find inspiration in other types of songs like dancing queen by abba so maybe maybe this is me is not exactly like the most inspirational for me and that's the thing about dear of hanson Dear Evan Hansen is basically inspirational porn. And I know that's not a very nice way of putting it, but it's the best way to put it. It basically wants to inspire you every single second of the day. It wants to have this like moment of like, you know, I'm going to inspire you to change your life. I'm going to inspire you to really go out and do things in the world every second. Even the original even the original show, the very first song, the very first song which is not in the movie, which it's a shame because it's actually a good song uh, anybody have a map its how do I put it this way it's not it, it really wants to inspire you it from that moment on it just wants to like make you want to go out there and live your life and and you know what I'm, I'm gonna be honest The the original musical has pretty good music um, I also think that it's always been problematic with its subject matter and you might be asking what is it about then there's been the joke around um, the Twitter spear about how the movie they got the imp a lot of people got the impression it's a coming about, coming out movie, but it's not so dear Evan Hansen is the story of Evan Hansen who has anxiety and may be on the autism spectrum um i'm I'm only saying that because a lot of fans think he is it's not explicitly stated in the text We'll have to ex- I have to get into why I think that's a little dangerous but i'll tell you in just a moment but evan hansen has all uh, has anxiety he has depression he may be autistic and he for the most part doesn't have any friends the only person he really talks to is this guy who is his family friend not his real friend and maybe an actual jerk and toxic so stop you know but evan for the most part has had a lot of problems and and Evan has to write these letters to himself be- because of therapy. So there's this uh therapy exercise where you write a letter to yourself and you try to tell yourself like good things or you try to tell yourself things to sort of motivate you to sort of push you forward. And Evan writes this letter to himself and this guy at school named Connor who isn't necessarily a bully to him but is not a very generally nice person basically takes the letter that Evan wrote to himself and takes it home. And then a few days later, um, Connor kills himself, and Evan's letter is discovered right next to Connor's corpse. And Connor's family believe that Evan was Connor's best friend, and that it, and the fact is, Evan has a very interesting history with having a crush on Connor's sister. So for the so this vi- through a convoluted, complicated series of events. Evan basically pretends to have been Connor's ex-best friend and gets to invite himself into the life of this family and in, and generally speaking his life gets a little bit better. And it's one of those uh, it's one of those stories that's had a lot of controversy. So basically Evan lies in order to live a much better life because of the fact that he can finally be himself or at least finally well, I don't know if you can really be yourself if you're lying as extensively as he does. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know what the lesson is, really. I've had people say, like, you know, when you, he can no longer be alone, but is that is that enough? Like, is that you have to lie to people to have that lesson? I don't know. So you may be asking yourself, like, so the story is basically about a guy who has anxiety and through no... F- through a series of circumstances, has to basically lie about being a suicide victim's best friend. Yep, that's what it is. And b- and now, before, <laughs> and before you say to yourself, well, you're misrepresenting this, I don't think so. I've seen the original musical, I've seen a production of it, uh, the touring company production of it, and no, I'm not misrepresenting it. The reason why you might remember the play a little differently or the musical a little differently is... Quite frankly, the musical has had, had conveys a lot of unspoken things through the set, through the lighting and through the lyrics. So there's a lot of songs that in the musical contextualize and give better, um, let's just say a better understanding of things. So like Evan's relationship with his mother, who is de- played here by Julianne Moore, it is it's given more context in the original musical, so like, this movie tries to blame a lot of Evan's problems on his mother being absent, and I think that that's really egregious because his mother works really hard, and I know I'm talking about these characters as if they're real, but it comes from a writing standpoint. Like, how can you write a character essentially complaining about their mother not being there for them when their mother's literally working, and trying to put in effort to try to make the time count? That's you know that bothered me a little bit that bothered me actually it really did and uh, in the Mary Sue there was an article where basically they said that there's a part in the movie where Evan essentially dismisses his mom's like hard work by saying that his mother never really cared for him and it's actually like really troubling because it, 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 it again this is a musical that a lot of teenagers like and I'm I got to be honest I don't want to see teenagers looking at this movie as inspiration for how they should deal with their own anxiety and that they shouldn't be blaming their parents necessarily for their own bad actions. Like Evan does some bad things in this movie. He lies and he does a lot of traumatizing things to people and him having anxiety does not matter. And I know some people may say to me like, what, what do you mean? Like you can't help it. No, having anxiety does not matter does not make you a bad person so for evan to lie to a family that's grieving and for evan is to essentially be in a relationship with a woman with uh, connor's sister and essentially lie through most of it that's dangerous and i think that a lot of teenagers are going to look at this movie and you know they'll find something inspiring about the fact that evan is, is his life gets better but then like, he doesn't really suffer consequences for it. And for The Sap, and the, that's always been a problem with the musical. But the reason why you were so distracted while watching the musical is because you like the music. There's good music in it. I'm not denying that. And Ben Platt, who originated the role on Broadway, is back with e- as Evan. And everyone's been making jokes about him looking too old. And at first, I wasn't exactly like, sure... Like, I saw how egregious he looked compared to the other actors. I just thought it was bad makeup, and it is. It's bad makeup. Please do not nominate this for makeup. I really don't want to see this nominated. But in terms of like the fact that he is an older man now, there's something really... Because of the makeup and the performance itself, Ben Platt literally plays his character as a 30-year-old man almost... And I don't think he can really replicate what he did on Broadway. Because even on Broadway, he still was too old to be playing a teenager. But because they didn't put on that makeup and they didn't have him act a certain way, it doesn't look weird. But in fact, this time around, because they put on a really bad wig and makeup, it does make a difference. Like, makeup does make a difference on film. And he actually looks like a 40-year-old man next to other teenagers. And these actors are also adults, too. Like, a manless Stam- Stamberg looks like a teenager, but she's an adult too. She's almost the same age. She's the same age as Ben Platt, but she's convincing. And so when you have your actor looking old and he's supposed to be a teenager who makes a lot of bad mistakes and they're really egregious, horrible mistakes, you almost come, It om- Evan comes across like Ev- Angelina Jolie from Girl Interrupted. If you remember Girl Interrupted, she... W- Angelina Jolie played one of the most evil villains on there. She's He, he comes across almost as like, um, I'm not going to use that term, but almost as unpleasant and almost as manipulative as that character. And we're supposed to root for him to get better? Really? Like, I actually felt like this guy needed to get therapy, and I'm so sick and tired of movies like Dear Evan Hansen and 13 Reasons Why who dismiss therapy, because clearly the film tries to push the message that love can essentially cure mental illness and that love essentially is going to be what you need in order to move on but that's not true at all when you have a mental illness you do need therapy you do need medications you do need all that stuff you can live a normal you can live a normal life as much as you can without it i suppose but if you have it as bad as Evan you really and you have a cry out for help then you're really I don't know how to put put this, but like, you know, Girl Interrupted is an older movie, but at least it doesn't dismiss therapy. You know, it doesn't dismiss it. It shows that you kind of do need it. And this time around, like, the way they contextualize, like, the school and therapy, they make it all seem like they don't care. And you know what? I I don't think that that's how reality really works. I've gone to schools who do put in a lot of of effort towards their mental health awareness. And the things have been getting better in terms of therapies and treatments. So for this movie to dismiss it and not be a period piece not doesn't make sense, doesn't hold up anymore. And I also think Ben Platt's not that good either in the part because again, he plays him as an older man almost. And so it makes a lot of his actions seem a lot creepier and unlikable. And I think also Steven Chabosky should have written the script because this, the dialogue for this movie, not very good i'm not saying it's terrible i'm just gonna say it like it's it's just there's too many uncomfortable conversations and i also feel like the musical along with the movie doesn't take a breath doesn't take a breath it just keeps on trying to be depressing every second is depressing every second is a lie it doesn't feel like it takes a break like you have to have like comedic breaks you have to have like not necessarily comedic breaks you have to have a break from something because after a while i stopped caring like After five depressing songs, I stopped caring. And they're good songs on their own. They're just not very good. I'm going to be honest. They're just not very good together because they're so depressing and they all sound the same one after the other in terms of subject matter. Like, words, Words Fail is not a good song to be put with, like, you know, Only Us or A Little Close. You know, they put a lot of songs together, right? And it just... It doesn't really hit like when you see the sound of music they have like long breaks between um, you know songs so if Dear Evan Hansen if they were gonna take out some songs they should have taken out some of the songs they were in the movie already because it it's a lot and there's con and a lot of things could be conveyed through dialogue and I think that if Steven Chabosky wrote the script he should have done it and also I just think it doesn't look very good I think it just looks like very generic filmmaking and there's no real like the lighting that made the original musical like really famous is not here. It actually looks really drab. So, if you were a fan of this musical, you know, <laughs> I feel so bad for you. It's, it's 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 bad. I think this is a really bad movie. Don't go. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but you know what? After the break, I guess I can talk a little bit more about Dervin Hansen, give a little bit more conversation about who may or may like it. So, stay tuned.
0: Big Screen Blockbuster, Little Screen Stream, Festival Favorites, Award Show Nominees, Winners, and the Occasional Pan. This is Flicks and Picks on Radio 111. Here's
1: Brian Mendoza. Hey, welcome back. And I was going to say that I think I have a lot more to say about Dear Evan Hansen because now that I think about it, like, I really do have... Have a lot of opinions regarding it, and I and I did feel like maybe that amount of time was not enough. So I want to give credit to a couple things. I think that music. If uh, Dear Evan Hansen turns out to be a success, I will be a little bit concerned on one level for the depiction of mental illness. I do think, however, like you know, I will say this: I, I don't think that depicting mental illness the way that Dear Evan Hansen has been depicted has depicted it is great i think that um how do i put it this way not not seeking help is actually a bad thing and i feel like there's been too many films lately that have depicted mental health as being sort of like a gift or like your mental illness i mean as a gift or that you go around like know it makes you the special one or it makes you unique as opposed to those other people who aren't mentally ill which I don't think that's how we should approach it at all I know I mean anyone with a mental illness will give you the reality that no you it's not a gift don't don't view it that way but I also think it's bad because like I don't know who would think that someone (laughs) is a good depiction of mental illness. That's that's what bothers me. But I can see teenagers liking Dear Evan Hansen, so if you're a fan of the musical, you'll see the same performance. Ab- not exactly the same, but you'll see a performance of it. Um, I do feel like a lot of people who are going to defend this film are going to essentially... You know, How do I put it this way? They're going to essentially believe that this film is saying a message that it's not saying. Like I don't think it's saying that social media impacts your life, like, no, like, don't pretend it does, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how that's a message that this one was trying to say, it only touch, touch upon it, it touches upon that subject so quickly that it doesn't matter, and the same with, um, (laughs) the same with the, the fact that people have called me out saying, oh, well, you only pay attention to the fact that he lied, well, yeah, because it's a big part of the story. It's essentially the whole story that he has to lie in order to live a better life, and that's not great. And so, like, for me, like, the performances are good, and it does, like, capture some emotion really well with the music. And, like, I noticed that if this movie does really well at the box office, musicals can be seen as profitable again. That's what's really happy for me, because... The last couple years have been pretty bad for musicals in terms of financial, uh, the financial situation. Like um, in the case of like Cats, that was a box office bomb. And rightfully so in the Heights, didn't do so well at the box office. But I wish it did, because that's an actual great musical. Go watch that instead. It's uh, of course, you can have conversations about colorism, but it's a great musical, you know, and those conversations should be a part of a great musical in this case i don't think this is a great enough musical to not t- to dismiss the conversation of it being problematic i think it, the problematic elements are the bad elements and i don't think it's like great in general so you'll get some good performances but you're but you're not going to really get a good movie out of it it's i think the writing is kind of off the wall i think that Quite frankly, the story and the subject matter don't age well. Music's fine, so you know, up to you. If you want to see a good performance, uh, well, good, but not great performances, and good songs, you, I guess. I guess you got something. But honestly, like, no, go watch something else. Like, go watch like A Woman Under the Influence, uh, One Foot the Cuckoo's Nest. You got so many, so many better films about mental illness out there. You don't need to watch this. Like, I, I don't know. Like, and also movies about suicide. You have you you have the virgin suicides go watch those movies you know like I don't don't know like I just don't think you need to be watching this one so overall not exactly my cup of tea you know but I don't think it should be really anybody's cup of tea because I think the tea lies to you so I do have to report a f- a really tragic piece of movie news Melvin Van Pebbles who has been considered the um, godfather of black cinema passed away this week. He is famous for producing for making directing the creating and starring the movie Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and it's considered one of the early examples of the black exploitation genre. It also was a film that for the most, his films for the most part, all explored racism in a way that made a lot of people uncomfortable because they dealt with very uncomfortable truths about police corruption and how it feels to be perceived as a black man in society. And he never cradled anybody, and nor did he ever include white saviors in his film, Karma State. So if you want to see a director's work, that actually really tackled racism in a way that was timely, and actually still very timeless and really can make you uncomfortable because it asks real defining questions about racism in America. You need to go see Melvin, uh, Melvin Pebbles' movies, particularly Sweet, Sweet Beck's Badass Song, which is a great film. And I'm glad that it really holds up really well. So go and watch his films. It's, I, I wish I had more time to talk about it on this show, but there's so much to talk about. Hey, you know what? If you like this show, check out the reruns on Wednesdays but hey stay tuned for more flicks and picks every week new episodes come out every week unless I take a break but you but that's gonna but you'll know beforehand again thank you and welcome back to the I not I Hub radio the radio 111 screening room <music>